Hi, and welcome to the Fractal Marketing Podcast. My name is Jared Doyle, and on this show, I take marketing questions from listeners and provide answers so that everybody who tunes in can learn a little bit more about marketing and hopefully find some ideas for their business. Hi, and welcome to Episode 7 of the Fractal Startup Marketing Podcast. In today's episode, my first question I talk about social media marketing and, and how we keep it fresh and, and maybe the possibility of outsourcing. The second question, I look at a more complicated real estate business and how we might actually reach the right audience and convince them and really more explain the product behind. And then at the end, I talk a little bit about brand authenticity and how you really can't steal it. So let's jump straight into question one today. So the first question today comes from Dennis, who is a management consultant for the Australian Energy Market Commission, who asks, my main challenge right now is to find the time to keep social media channels going. I tried to outsource management and content generation with very limited success to date. Would love to hear your recommendations on outsourcing social media with an approach that is sustainable in the long run and ensures alignment with the brand values, quality and expectations. So I think, Dennis, the, the first thing for me is I'm not a fan of outsourcing social media because for me, social media is our digital voice. This is how we communicate with the world. So to ask somebody to speak on our behalf, to create our tone, to to be our representative of the digital world, which is quickly and, and really has already become the main world, is it, it's a kind of a recipe for disaster. You know, this is not something we want to play around with. And so for me, my my first default position with this is always to try to insource your social media. Now, what I mean by that is I'm almost certain inside most medium to large organizations, there would be somebody whose main job it is, sorry, whose job it isn't, and that's kind of key, whose job it isn't to do social media, but who actually loves social media, who loves the company and really does represent that brand, but in a slightly quirky way. It could be an accountant. It could be somebody in HR. It could be someone in middle management, reception, maintenance. The point is, if you get somebody who's wholeheartedly devoted to the company, they see themselves as being part of that company, they're really part of a team, you're going to get a much authentic, much more authentic message that they can take to the world on your behalf. And probably... You're not going to need to pay a huge amount of money to do that. This person ideally lives and breathes social media. This is somebody who actually wouldn't see it as work to be on their phone all the time engaging with people. So look, my, my first position is always try to insource before you try to outsource. I think you might be surprised with how many people are willing to take on the idea of adding social media manager to their to their CV. And that's not to lose somebody, that's to in, empower the staff. And look, it reminds me of... I was in a privileged position about 2008. I was working in London at an agency and we were pitching for Coca-Cola, which look, in, in terms of agency land, pitching for Coca-Cola is kind of one of the most exciting things you can do, except that I was pitching for search, which is one of the most boring things a brand company can do. And during that process, of course, you sort of, you, as an agency, you're trying to sort of increase the scope of work you might be winning. And we asked about social media to which the people from Coca-Cola who were in the room just spun around and said, oh, you don't have to worry about that. We've got it sorted. We're letting our fans take care of it. We sort of looked and thought, what, what, what do you mean? And, and what they'd done is they'd gone to create social media channels and realized there was a bunch of channels out there that actually were quite popular already. And there were fans that 
really wanted to support the product. And so rather than recreate and try to almost add a corporate flavor and, and kind of almost water down the message, they simply got behind the people and said, look, we love your channel. We're going to endorse it. It's going to be the official channel. What do you need from us? And they just added more support behind. And look, there's probably some handbrakes and a little bit of control they might have thrown in there, but they ultimately let the community run itself. And I think it's a privileged position that Coke found themselves in. I don't know if they still do that, but I think it's, again, it's this idea of why try to create a contrived voice? Why, why pay somebody to be your voice? If somebody wants to be your voice, let them. If someone internally can be your voice, then you're going to be in a better position. So I guess the next thing I'd, I'd sort of say around, I guess, managing time and, and social media is it's difficult to look at social media if your first position is that it's an obligation, if it's a cost. And the way to get around that is to have a reason to be engaging in social media. Why, why do you have that channel? What's the vision? What's the mission? What's the desired outcome with maintaining a social media channel for any business and i find if i talk to you know in, in sort of careers gone by a lot of corporations did it simply because they felt they had to there wasn't really a vision as to why they wanted to be on social media other than they felt they had to be and if you feel you have to be well it's going to be a bit contrived it's going to be hard work if you've got a reason to be there if you've got something you want to achieve there's, there's other ways to kind of fund that. There's other ways to engage with people. So look, I'm not saying this is the case for you and I, I must say I haven't even looked at your social media channels, but that's not really the question at hand. I think for me, the objective here is set a reason for being there. What is that channel trying to achieve for you? Why are you on Facebook? Why are you on Twitter? Why aren't you on Twitter? Why are you on Instagram? Why aren't you? These are all things you need to consider. And if you can think about why you want to be there, you've probably got a better project better chance of producing something cheaply and something that resonates with your consumers. And you're going to find if you're doing it well, it just tends to cost a whole lot less. But, you know, I mentioned on a previous podcast, to, to do well at social media, one of the great tricks you can do is to be the person who listens. To kind of pivot on that a little bit for you, I'd say in one line, post less and comment more. I think sometimes we confuse the idea of posting often as a way that we're engaging on social media. And yet I've used the word engage there and engaging isn't one directional. Engagement is a conversation, which means if you post something and somebody comments, you need to have enough bandwidth in your project and your budget to respond, engage with those people, the people who make a comment or like, and actually start to have a conversation. And the best way you're going to be able to do that is to produce better content. If your content is thin, if your content is designed to be passable so it's on brand but it's a bit doesn't really do anything spectacular you're not going to get comments and so you're going to have to post more to make up for the fact that you're not having any conversations so my advice would be go deeper write more detail do more research produce the content that's harder go for video over images, go for images over text, go for research, go for substance, go for passion, go for a feeling, do something that allows people to get behind that content a bit more and you're going to get better results. Spend more time polishing that content. So spend, I don't know, if you spend X amount of time producing the first bit of the content, spend X times two making it brilliant. And if you do that, you're going to be better off than producing four times the volume of content and you just keep pushing that content out there. 
The second thing, and, and the great thing about a corporation is unlike a startup who maybe has no ability to access funds, so it's more around time and effort, if you have some funds available to you, the secret to this approach is that if you get it right, if you're happy with the content, if you've written great, deep, engaging content, then you can promote it. Look, this is the way the social channels, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, etc. that's where they make their money. They make their money from promotions. And so they're geared naturally to give you a really good sort of return on investment or sort of, I guess, reach on that investment you might make. So I would much rather see somebody produce less content and spend more money promoting it than producing more content because the content that isn't seen doesn't have any value. So if you produce one bit of content rather than two, but you promote it, you're going to get more mileage from the effort, time, and money that you put in. The last thing I'd say on the content is focus where possible on evergreen content. So evergreen, as the name suggests, is content that isn't going to date. So it's not about Valentine's Day or Christmas. It's not about a particular political issue that's happening at the moment. It's about content that's going to last a long period of time. It's going to be the more deeply researched content. It's also the content that tends to sit on your second layer of your content marketing strategy. So if you start thinking about your content marketing strategy really simply as two layers, and I'm sure I've mentioned this before, that first layer is all about the attention. So that that can be the shorter sort of clickbaity headline that kind of captures someone's attention. But once you've got that person's attention, that's when you focus more on the evergreen content, the deep content where you say, look, it may not be the kind of thumb-stopping content on a Facebook feed that you need when someone's clicking through on their iPhone. But if somebody's already aligned with your brand in some way, then that deeper content, they're more likely to engage with it. So split your content up. I think focus on the deep content, focus on the value, the research, evergreen content. Don't stay, don't steer away from the um, attention-grabbing content. And when you get something that works, double down on it, spend some money behind it and really amplify that content. Because as I said before, if nobody sees it, it, it kind of never really existed, did it? The last thing I'd say on this topic is to give you something that's, I guess for you, Dennis, is a little bit more actionable. It's a, it's a bit of software I discovered from another podcast a couple of weeks ago, and it's called Missing Letter. So that's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-L-E-T-T-R.com. So you'll spot that they've missed the E, which is obviously their clever little uh, play on words there. I'm not sure if I love the brand, but it is what it is. And like a lot of the tools I recommend, yeah, they're often a bit raw. So the interface is not spectacular. But what Missing Letter does is it really aims to get value out of the content you've already produced and find more content from within the content you've written. So it does that by basically spidering through a blog post you might put on your website and it tries to pull nuggets out that it feels like this could be a headline, this could be a snippet that we could include. And it creates 12 to 14 versions of this that you can then syndicate over LinkedIn, Twitter and other social media channels. Now, there are plenty of tools out there that allow you to, you know, post once and share across multiple channels. But what Missing Letter does is it tries to create different headlines, different images, different versions of the same content to make it last longer. So rather than sort of post once and miss people because they didn't like the headline, they didn't like the image, it was at the wrong time, they just weren't checking LinkedIn or Twitter at that particular point in time or they were on holidays, 
it repurposes the same content, but rather than using the same headline and image over and over where people might feel like it's a bit stale, it tries a different version. So it's not split testing, it's just trying to get better mileage out of what you've already got. So I think you get your first 14 days as typically is the case with these software programs. I definitely recommend giving this a go. I've been trying it for the last three to four weeks. It's a little bit hit and miss. I think sometimes it posts and I look back retrospectively and think mm, that wasn't a great headline. I kind of don't, I kind of wish I hadn't pushed that out to my LinkedIn followers, but it does seem to work and it does seem to keep you there. And for me, it helps reward people that are willing to spend the time and effort writing long content. It's kind of like the effort you might put into producing, say, this podcast, I can spend a lot of time recording it, researching it, editing it, publishing it, everything I need to do. The idea that someone might miss it just because at the particular time they were flicking through LinkedIn, I was right underneath the next thumb flick, if you like, and it went my, my post went past too quickly. That's a little bit disappointing considering the time and effort that goes into it. So I think missing letters are a nice tool, definitely worth trying, and hopefully it's something directly actionable. It isn't quite as fluffy as my other ideas for you. And I hope it really makes a difference for, for what you want to achieve. So the second question for today's episode comes from David from Revolutionary Real Estate, who I guess has two problems. And the first one is that it's difficult for potential customers to really understand his solution because it's quite an engaging solution around real estate. And the second problem is that the people he wants to reach are really expensive. So let me, um, I guess a qualifier for this first is that I've actually spoken to David on the phone. He, um, he reached out to me and I thought, well, it's an intriguing question. So we, um, we had a chat on the phone and at the time I couldn't really think of a solution. And I said, I'll leave it with me. I'm going to have a think about it. And then I said, well, why don't I just answer it on my podcast? And David kindly said, yeah, that sounds fine. So let me just explain, I guess, what his business does first, and then I'll try to fit my solution around that. So David's solution is the anti-agent solution for selling real estate. So it's a bit like Purple Bricks in the sense that what he's trying to do is take away real estate agent's commission that a home seller might be paying by kind of explaining really what it is to sell a house, what bits they can do themselves and boiling the actual process down to well, just that really, it's a process and removing some of the mystery that's behind it and sort of saying, well, maybe you don't need to pay so much to actually sell your house. Now, the difficulty he's got is that, and, and the way that I've just explained it is, it is a complicated product. This isn't an easy solution. You know, the idea of stepping away from something you already understand is tough. And so to get full buy-in, David actually needs quite a bit of time to convince a customer to join up to his process. Now, in my mind, there's still an easy way to go about that. And that's just to talk about the money saving, to talk about how you could do things more efficiently. But to actually get them on board requires a lot more effort. The second thing is David's chasing a, probably is one of the most expensive types of people to find online. And to fully appreciate what I mean by this is you kind of got to get an idea of how online personas work and the value you can attach to yourself. Now, I'll give a different example. Let's just say, for example, there was a, you know, a particular person. <laughs> I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head. Let's say it's a sort of 50-year-old male who likes to collect rare Hot Wheels cars, you know, matchbox cars. So you can imagine, you know, fairly niche, not a lot of margin, not a big market. So it wouldn't be expensive to find this particular individual online and put ads in front of them. However, 
if this person also happened to like betting on horse racing, you've completely changed the price. When this person only liked Hot Wheels cars, they were cheap to buy online because there's not a lot of value behind them. But as soon as they start liking horse racing, all of a sudden, the value of them as a customer to a sports betting company goes to one to $2,000 acquisition cost. That's entirely different. Obviously, if I'm a retailer of limited edition Hot Wheels cars, you know, mint condition in box, where I might be trying to make $20, $30, $40, I can't pretend to compete with the sports bet companies who are willing to pay thousands of dollars to reach the same person, to get this same person's attention. Now, the reason why I say this is, this is the problem you've got when you're targeting people looking to move homes. Basically, it's one of the most valuable things that you can do online. One of the other most valuable things you can do is get engaged. If you, you change your Facebook profile to engaged, your value just goes through the roof. In the same way, if Facebook or any media company identifies you as selling a house, your value goes up. And it's not just because there's you know, 15, 20, $25,000 on the line in real estate commissions. It's actually all the other things that go with it. When you move home, you need to maybe think about removalists. You need to think about storage facilities, cleaners. You start to think about things like, well, from moving house, what about property repairs? What about my utilities, my, you know, my internet connection, my gas, my water, my electricity? All these things become potentially, you know, they sort of pop up on the table at this one point. I wouldn't, you know, thinking about switching my gas provider is or really my gas billing company is, isn't something I'm going to do regularly. But if I'm moving house and I've got to update it, well, I've gone that far into updating my address. I may as well look at what the price is. So the reason why I say it is you can see how at that point, those people looking to sell a house become some of the most valuable people you can find online because of all the potential revenue to all the different companies at the same point in time. So this is a bit of a dilemma for you, David. You've got a really valuable persona that you're trying to reach. So what we need to do is we need to marry that up to the idea that actually your product requires a bit of explanation or a longer sell. And so the idea for me is And this marries up nicely with what I was talking about earlier on around getting attention and then evergreen and longer content behind. So David's got a great ebook. Now, ebooks are great, but if you kind of hide the ebook behind an email address, there's a lot of content, a lot of value there that's kind of squirreled away that you're giving up just for an email address. Now, my idea would be to bring a lot of that content and more forward and really use it to try to engage people beyond, I guess, the attention phase. So first step for a marketing campaign is going to be to get people's attention. So defining who my potential customer is, and that customer is going to be money sensitive. They're going to be looking to do something a little bit different. They're going to look to be a bit of a a life hacker and save a little bit of cash. And so headlines that say things like, you know, don't pay 5% for property or how so-and-so saved $20,000 on the sale of the house or you know, the secrets that real estate agents won't tell you. It's it's very much, you can see how these clickbaity headlines come about. But all you're trying to do there is identify people who have a predisposition to aligning with your company. And once you've done that, it's at that point you start to hit them with sequence, you sort of sequence your content to slowly roll out behind these people. Now that sequencing can happen via email. You can set up a lovely drip campaign that, you know, 
The minute they sign up, you send them one email sort of an hour later. The next day you send at the same time the second email, another chapter, another snippet. And you slowly indoctrinate them into your way of thinking and the way the process of what you do for, you know, for selling a property. And there's probably like an onboarding process. So like a drip email campaign, which could be exactly the same as a drip content marketing campaign across a social platform. And at a certain point in time, people will sort of drop out of that and fall into the mainstay newsletter where you maintain the momentum as much as you can. And what you're really doing is you're basically getting a large audience ready for the time when they do want to sell a house and they're completely bought into your proposition. Now to do that, you can't just talk about selling a property. You've got to spread more, I guess, wider with your content and understand what else these people might be interested in. So they might also be interested in, for example, self-managed super funds. So somebody who's likely to try to sell the house themselves and go through that process is probably also likely to do a self-managed super fund. You know, they may be of a higher education, higher potential net worth, income, maybe. You know, that's all to be proven. But the point about spreading out the content is you can't just talk about your product all the time. You're trying to create a movement around breaking down barriers. So when I was looking at your product and, and target markets, you know, one website that jumped out is one called um, macrobusiness.com.au, which is kind of a slightly radical anti-establishment investment news website. They talk about business and property and investments and currencies and sort of social structures really. And it, it's, it's a bit anti-establishment, but it's definitely an educated and thought-provoking piece. And it is about doing things yourselves and and not being sucked into the sort of economic borg, if you like. And the reason why I mention it is that the people that read this website, who subscribe to this website and $100 a year, whatever they charge, you know, they're, they're likely to be the same kind of people that align to your product. So you can cross-pollinate and you can sort of get an idea of the kind of content these people, your target market, are interested in. But you're also finding target sites that you could partner with and advertise with and start to get a collective behind what you're doing. So what I want you to imagine is the ideal idea that you've got a large audience, almost like a movement that you're slowly engaging with. And then, you know, look, if we do this really well, these people, even if they haven't actually used your services, are likely to recommend it to a friend. You know, that classic Australian barbecue slash dinner party chat, you know, we don't talk about how much we earn, but we talk about how much we buy and sell our houses for. So it's it's a strange world. And I guess it comes about because, you know, property sales are on the public record. But it's at that time where these people who maybe haven't used your services yet can talk about and say, have you heard there's a service that does this, teaches you how to avoid a real estate agent. So I think the, the plan for you is really get people's attention early with the sort of the shocking headlines, you know, what what's in it for them, make it very much around the benefit they're going to get straight away. And then once you capture that person's attention and you've got to click an email, sign up or visit your website, whatever it happens to be, then it's all about content marketing. It's all about changing the way people think about things. You want them to really rally around the idea of breaking the rules and saving money and do it yourself. And I don't need to be told how to, to do these things and, and build a force behind you because people aren't ready to sell their houses at, you know, straight away, this is something where you have to build a brand and a bit of a movement behind to make it work. I hope that works. <laughs> I hope um, I'll have a follow-up chat with you um, just because I've already spoken once. But I think that the strategy here is one that applies to most businesses where it's not just sort of a click-buy process. You really need to 
spend time convincing people of the way you approach the world. And I guess it gets back to an idea I came up with so about six months ago, which is this innovator's dilemma, which is if you are doing something that is radically different, it is really hard to explain to the world what you're doing. And whenever you do that, you always feel like you're selling it short. But that's the difficulty we face as innovators is that we have to show the world that there's a different way, a better way of doing something. And usually the only way to do that is to get someone's attention and hold that attention for long enough to get them to come on that same journey with you. So look, I hope that helps. I'd love to talk a bit more about it. But again, it's a strategy I think applies to a lot of different people. The last thing I want to talk about on today's episode is the idea that you can't copy authenticity in a brand. I've, I've noticed, I mean, when you speak to a few founders and even when you do things yourself, you do kind of fear the copycat. You fear the idea that someone's going to come behind you and copy what you're doing or an existing player is going to step into your market and go, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to copy that and roll it out and, and take away your business. Now, I'm sort of warming to this idea that you can't copy someone's authenticity because most of the time when you're looking to copy it or somebody's looking to copy your authenticity, why you started a business, they're chasing the result, not the reason you got started. So I'll explain that a bit more. I'll use myself as an example this time. So for me, I want to help founders be successful and give their businesses a chance to succeed. And I want to do that because firstly, I love innovation. I believe in the idea that we can do things better. I believe that there's always a, a more efficient way of doing something and that a lot of markets are held up by businesses that really are about restricting supply. So one of my big drivers is the idea that business models that restrict supply into a market and hold sort of a monopolistic position through restriction, it just, it rubs me the wrong way. Um, and also because I've had some success as a founder, but I've also had my failure and I really don't want that to happen to other founders. I want to give everyone the chance. I want to be honest. I want to be real with them. And I want to, I guess, kind of defend them against as well the people that might go in the wrong direction. Now, the reason why I say all that is, let's just say that somebody, an agency thought to themselves, I would like to get in and start doing marketing for startup companies, just like Jared's doing with Fractal. I don't think that happens, but you can imagine if someone wanted to work with um, cash poor, time poor founders and they wanted to come off that market, they might look at it and let's just imagine I was having some kind of success. The reason they want to get into the market is because of the opportunity they see, not the same reason that I want to get into and that I want to work with founders. And it's that authenticity that's really hard to replicate. And so the idea that somebody would see success and therefore be able to replicate your why and that your customers and your consumers and anyone that you might engage with would somehow not see through the thinly disguised agenda, I think it does a discredit to basically the human brain and the way we, we, we translate brands and authenticity. So I'm becoming less and less worried about people copying ideas, even big dominant brands copying ideas, because if they're not truly passionate and they're not driven by the same mission and vision statement as you, the chances are the customers will see through that. There might be some bumpy times. It is completely possible with economic scale, they could just drown you out. But generally speaking, given a fair fight, the authenticity of your why and why you got into a business is really hard to replicate. And if someone's trying to copy that, 
And the impetus for them copying your idea is is the success that you're having and they're chasing that success or that money or that fame or whatever it happens to be it's really unlikely that they're going to be able to succeed. So that's that's the end of this episode. I hope uh, everyone's enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to the, the next two, possibly three episodes for me now. I did a call out on LinkedIn, asked for a few people to pitch in um, questions around SEO. SEO was my first love. Um, I started that back in 1997. So I'm looking forward to auditing a whole bunch of websites now. I'll probably do rather than two questions, three or four in an episode just to push through them. So, you know, if you want some SEO tips and not the detailed, you know, high-end tips, I mean, we could go there if we needed to, but I'm, I'm talking, these are the, the basic sense checks, the simple things that you need to do, but you don't need to hire an agency to tell you about it. Then tune in to next week's episode and the one after that, and hopefully you'll pick up some great nuggets. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening to that latest episode, guys. I've just got two quick favors to ask of you here right at the end. Firstly, if you have any questions, please shoot them through. This podcast only exists because I answer the questions that listeners send in. So if you head along to fractal.com.au slash questions, that'll redirect you to the latest episode and you can drop your questions down there. Those questions you submit become the basis for each episode. So if you've got a question around SEO, paid search, growth hack marketing, PR, brand positioning, market segmentation, anything you might like to know that's going to help your business, drop the question down there and I'll try to answer it on the next episode. If you don't have any questions, that's absolutely fine. The other thing you can do is head on over to fractal.com.au slash subscribe. Subscribing to this podcast not only delivers each episode straight through to your smartphone, but it really helps me reach a bigger audience all the time. That subscription really helps me out. So if you can do that, I'd really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for your time again and see you next week.